Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old while pressing on to the new. I hope that this podcast helps you discover those automatic negative thoughts in your mind, self-sabotaging beliefs or mental constructs, paradigms, or even spiritual strongholds that are keeping you from God's best in your life. If you're new to this podcast, I want to welcome you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It blesses me to know that you are giving this podcast your time today. And if you are a subscriber, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for pledging that vote of confidence and allowing me into your mind and into your heart. I appreciate that. Those of you who don't know, my background is in psychology. I have been an educator for close to 30 years. Uh, I am soon to graduate in uh, May this coming year with a doctorate in traumatology that specializes in helping people with PTSD anxiety, depression, and those kinds of things. My, my thesis, uh, my doctoral dissertation is on the relationship between those uh, individuals that have suffered from adverse childhood experiences or child abuse and the adult onset of autoimmune disease like Crohn's, Hashimoto's, um, Graves' disease, some forms of diabetes, and so on and so forth. And so I deal with a lot of people in, uh, in therapeutic sessions and counseling and uh, a lot of the people that uh, are dealing with things that are keeping them tethered to their past are because they're unwilling to let go of their past. And uh, not, un- not, not unable, but unwilling, unwilling to let go of their past. They're tethered to it, and they sometimes find comfort in holding on to those things. And so two of the greatest dysfunctions in our society today is, is exactly that, you know, being offended and being unforgiving. And if you go to social media, it's easy to become offended, you know, by different political views or religious views. And people get enraged over those things. That's why people get into, you know, um, road rage. Uh, people are easily offended. Somebody cuts you off, you know, you boil in on the inside because people don't know how to process. People don't know how to self-regulate. But a lot of people are just holding on to the stuff from the past that the stinking thinking, you know, the the junk in the trunk, <laughs> per se. You know, they're just not willing to let go of the offender. They're not willing to go of those people that hurt them. They're not willing to let go of the grievance and just hold on to it. And that is a killer. It destroys you. And uh, there are there are psychological implications. There are emotional implications. There are physical implications that come with it, but also spiritual ones. You know, unforgiveness is uh, goes completely against God's mandate. God calls us to forgive. Uh, Jesus said it very clearly. If you don't forgive, my Father in heaven won't forgive you. You know, Peter said, "How many times do I forgive?" He said, seven times." He says, "No, seventy times seven." You know, so someone who's received forgiveness uh, extends forgiveness. Someone who's received mercy extends mercy. Someone who's who has been extended grace extends grace. That's the right thing to do. We we reciprocate it. You know, but unforgiveness is is the act of not letting go of an offense. It's holding on to hurt. It's holding on to a grievance. It's holding on to a grudge in an effort to punish the offender. But at the end of the day, the only person that suffers the most is the individual that is unwilling to forgive. So I'm asking you a question right now. Think about it for just a moment. What or who are you holding on to? What are you tethered to? When I say tethered, I want you to imagine this. <laughs> You're going to think, okay, why are you giving this, 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 this visual analogy? But I want you to think about it. So there was a puppy that was tied to a tree. They put a collar on this puppy. They brought him home, put a collar on him, a leash, and tied it around the tree. The, the puppy had his water and his food at the, the bottom of that tree trunk. And there the puppy 
grew for many years, and every day a cat would uh, walk by to tantalize the dog, the puppy. Well, in this case, it was already a dog. Uh, would tantalize him, kind of mess with him, try and push his buttons. And so this, this cat would walk at a distance just far enough because the cat knew that the dog could only run about six feet away from that tree trunk because that's as far as the leash would go. And so he would, th- that cat would walk about six feet from that tree trunk. And so as soon as the cat, as, or as soon as the dog saw the cat out on a daily basis, he would get into a bolting position, you know, and, and he would charge at the cat with great force and, uh, and determination, but would get to the point to the, it would get to the six foot mark and it would come to an abrupt stop. Why? Because it was tethered to the tree was tied to the tree. And so it didn't matter how strong it was. It didn't matter how fast it could run or the distance or how fast or how long a distance it could run. It was tethered to a tree. So it could not develop its fullest, fullest potential. And the cat would walk by every day and would laugh at the dog until one day after many years, the, the dog owner simply thought, well, you know what? It's time to set this, uh, this dog free. You know, it's been tied to that tree its whole life. You know, it's already in six years. Let, let me, let's let it loose. And so the owner took the leash off, the collar off, but the food and the water remained there at the base of the tree trunk. And so the dog, because the dog was used to that, the dog found comfort in that. The dog stayed there. The dog stayed there, rested there, slept there, and did everything there. And every day, as as usual, of course, the cat would walk by. Now, at this point, the cat didn't know that the dog was no longer wearing a leash. But that one day, the first day without a leash, the cat decided to walk by. Again, at, at six foot six feet away from the tree trunk. And so as soon as the dog spotted the cat at a distance, it immediately got into charging position. It slowly waited until the cat got close enough to that tree trunk, still six feet away. And so the dog charged at the cat with great strength and determination. But guess what? It came to an abrupt stop right at the six foot mark. And you ask yourself, but but why? <laughs> it was no longer tied to the tree. It was no longer tied to the tree physically, but mentally, it still was. It was physically free, but mentally bound. A lot of people have great potential to do amazing things in life. A lot of people have been destined for greatness. God has a vision for their lives a purpose for their lives. You know, the word of God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's that simple. But a lot of people are mentally bound to their past because they are unwilling, unrelenting. They will not let go of the people that hurt them or the situations that harm them. And people like that, especially believers, believers in Christ that are unwilling to let go, they lose their walk with God. These are people that say, well, you know, it's been a while since I really don't feel God's presence. (laughs) Well, you've kind of pushed him in a corner, you know? You've kind of just disabled him because you're so full of anger and rage and resentment. So you lose your walk with God. You lose your health and vitality. You lose your joy. You lose your freedom. You're consumed by the offense, controlled by the offense. And eventually, you become worse than the offender. You know, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he said, to be a Christian, 
to be a Christ follower means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I love the story of Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was incarcerated for, I believe, 27 years, unjustly, unfairly incarcerated in South Africa for 27 years, out of which six of those 27, he was in solitary confinement. I mean, he was in a cell that was only that was only big enough for him to lay down and rest. Small little window, and he would look out and see the yard where all the other inmates were able to go out. And for six years, he was confined. But whenever they did take him out to the yard, they would throw him to the ground, and the jail keepers would urinate on him in front of everyone. They caused so much mental anguish, brought so much mental anguish to Nelson Mandela. I mean, they did everything possible to mess with his mind and to drive him crazy. But for 27 years, Nelson Mandela remained determined that one day he would leave that place free. And so 27 years later, 1990, Nelson Mandela is freed from his incarceration. And I remember reading in a book about Nelson Mandela where he said that when he saw those doors as he walked out, when he saw those doors that would lead him to his freedom, he told himself, don't look back. Don't look back. Let go of what is behind you because if you don't let go of what is behind you, you will still be a prisoner within your own mind. Wow. So powerful. So powerful. The mind has this power to incarcerate an individual, even though they are free. I remember the story of a missionary who was walking the streets of China. He was out there in the streets of China, walking along an alleyway, and he came across, he came across this tattoo parlor. And as he looked at all the designs that were exhibited in the window, he was looking at these designs that were very intricate and they were beautiful dragons that this old tattoo artist was a master at. But right in the middle of all these intricate and beautiful designs, there was one that was very simple. That was in English, actually. It had an inscription. It was actually, picture this, it was a skull. And it had an inscription on the skull. And the inscription was born to lose. It was very simple. A skull with an inscription, born to lose. Intrigued by this, the missionary walked into the tattoo parlor. He saw the elderly Chinese tattoo artist, and he asked the artist, Sir, he says, I first want to congratulate you. You are a master artist. I love all of the artwork. It is so intricate, it's so detailed, it's so beautiful. He says, but I'm intrigued by that one design that is right in the middle of all the other ones. It's a skull with an inscription in English that says, born to lose. He says, I'm intrigued by that. Why do you have it there? He says, young man, he says, this is the design that is most requested. He says, what do you mean it's most requested? Why would anyone want a tattoo on their bodies, etched on their bodies forever and ever and ever with an inscription that is so beyond negative, born to lose? And the artist's reply was pretty amazing. He said, young man, before tattoo is on the body, the tattoo is already in the mind. Wow. That just proves to me the point that the mind is powerful. The mind is powerful. Whatever you believe, you become. In your mind, if Nelson Mandela would have left the prison, but 
remained within the prison in his mind, he would have become a captive the rest of his life. But what did he do four years later? He became the president of South Africa because he was willing and able to let go of what held him captive. A lot of people are living in their own prisons. You see, forgiveness is an act of the will and not something that is birthed out of emotion. You don't say, well, I don't feel like forgiving. Of course you don't feel like forgiving because we are carnal. It's, it's, it's of the flesh to not want to forgive. Forgiveness is completely spiritual. And it's an act of the will that is not tied to the temperature of your heart. It's like loving your spouse. Hey, let's be honest. If you're married, you know the feeling. There are times when you don't feel like loving your spouse, but nonetheless, you still do. You choose to love. You may not like your spouse. At times, my wife has said, you know, I love you, but I really don't like you right now. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine because sometimes I feel the same. (laughs) But we love each other because we choose to love one another. Unforgiveness is rooted in pride. It's actually a characteristic of narcissism. It opens the door to the enemy. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It's proof of a hardened heart. It puts a stronghold on people's lives, and it becomes bitterness and eventually affects the, affects the individual's physical health. It immobilizes the hand of God, and it brings destruction into their lives. Ultimately, ultimately, unforgiveness is fueled by hate. I remember watching a college professor in a video that was speaking to the freshman class. He was teaching the basics of psychology, Psychology 101, and so he stood in front of his class while holding a, um, a glass of water that was half full. He held it perpendicular to his body and grasping the glass, he looked at the students and he asked the question, he says, what do you think my lecture is about today? And everyone, you know, started brainstorming and they said, well, you're probably going to talk about positive mindset versus negative mindset or growth mindset versus fixed mindset. You're going to ask if if the glass is half full or half empty. And he said, well, you know, those are really good guesses, but that's not what I'm going to talk to you about today. He says, actually, I'm going to ask you a question. The question is, how heavy do you think this glass is? As he continued to hold it perpendicular to his body, grasping the glass of water. And everyone started guessing. Some said six ounces, others eight, 10, 12 ounces. The professor said those are all good answers. He says, nonetheless, he says, the glass right now feels like six ounces, but if I hold on to it for 30 minutes, it's going to increase to about eight ounces. If I hold it for an hour and a half, it'll be about 12 ounces. If I hold it for three hours, it's going to feel like two pounds, he says. And if I continue to hold this glass perpendicular to my body while grasping the glass with this force, he says, as I clench my fist, he says, After 24 hours of doing this, he says, it will weigh so heavy on me that it will cause atrophy within my body, my muscles, my bones. It'll debilitate my back. My whole body will start to suffer, he says. And it will finally incapacitate my arm, he says. After 24 hours, the glass will have to be pried out of my hand. I'll probably need some physical therapy to get my arm back into motion because it will have incapacitated it. He says that is exactly what happens 
to the individual on the inside when they're unwilling to let go. He says the glass's weight depends on how he is unwilling to let go. He says eventually unforgiveness, hate, and resentment will become bitterness, cause atrophy within the individual, and destroy the whole mind and the body. That's how powerful unforgiveness is. You know, unforgiveness has been said to be like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. When we don't forgive, our hearts and minds become prisons without walls, and we, we become the prisoners. I've always believed that those who have been forgiven must extend forgiveness. Those who have received mercy must extend mercy to others. Nonetheless, we live in a society that equates unforgiveness or an unforgiving attitude with strength, grit, and tenacity, when in all reality, it takes more strength to forgive than it takes to remain hostile, sick, toxic, and angry. However, unforgiveness is celebrated in this depraved world in which we are living. The Bible says that in the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. You're probably asking yourself, well, I really don't know if I'm an unforgiving individual. Well, let me, let me ask you a few questions. Are you easily angered? Are you reactive? Do you constantly air your grievances? Are you compulsive? Do you have a hard time taking responsibility for your feelings? Are you constantly sick and weak to the bones? Do you enjoy gossiping about that particular individual? Do you feel righteous and entitled? If you answered yes to at least one of these, (laughs) you have issues with unforgiveness. Let me tell you, forgiveness is a privilege and a greater benefit to the forgiver than it is to the forgiven. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17, 1, he said, it is impossible for no offenses to come your way. In other words, you can't avoid them. They're not selective. It's not if they come, it's when they come. Offenses will come, believe me. It's impossible to hide from them. You can't dodge them. The longer you live, the more you are exposed to them. (laughs) But your capacity to process and manage offenses will determine your overall outcome. If you're not able to confront and overcome an offense, what makes you think for a moment that God is going to entrust you with a greater task. I, I hear people all the time, religious people, saying, God, use me. Lord, I am your vessel. Use me as a catalyst. Use me as a conduit. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me, Father, according to your will. But they're not willing to let go of the past. They're not willing to forgive. What makes them think? that God is going to commission them to a greater purpose or to a greater task or assignment if they can't let go of the menial, minute, infantile, and embryonic issues that have offended them. Look, God's not looking for perfection. He's just searching for disposition. 
He's not, he's not looking to anoint talent. He's looking to anoint hearts, hearts that are meek and gentle. It takes a meek and gentle heart to forgive those that have hurt you. If you get bent out of shape over the most minute situation, yeah, you can, you can basically forget about being commissioned by God for something that's bigger and greater than you. Understand this, that unforgiveness is the enemy's weapon of choice because he understands how deadly it can be. It brings division, destruction, and ultimately death. Again, I mentioned it earlier, unforgiveness is fueled by hate. One of my favorite quotes, unforgiveness binds you to your past. It poisons your present and cancels God's blessing. Unforgiveness binds you to your past. It poisons your present and cancels God's blessings for your life. Look, people oftentimes don't forgive because they say the resentment is too big, because it's easier to blame others for the way that they feel, because they don't understand the spiritual and emotional repercussions, because the same person hurt them multiple times, because they want the offender to suffer more than they have suffered, because they forget that God has already forgiven them through Christ. If they only understood that Jesus is the utmost expression of love and forgiveness, they would probably think twice before holding a grudge against someone. Whenever I'm having a hard time letting go of something or someone, I have to take myself to... uh, to my memory back when I watched the, uh, the Passion of the Christ, that movie that Mel Gibson produced about the life of Christ and his crucifixion. I take myself to that part of the movie where he's being laid on the cross. After he's been beaten and bruised, the cat of nine tails, you know, he's been whipped about 351 times because he was, he was whipped 39 times, but that whip had nine tails that were uh, fitted with uh, iron and, and, and rocks. And as they, as they ripped the skin off of him, they beat him, and they spit on him, they abused him in so many ways, and then they take him to the cross and they lay him on the cross. And as he's laying on the cross, I remember that image where they pull his arms, they stretch his arms out, and you can hear those arms just popping out of their, out of their sockets. You can, you, you can hear the, the agony in his voice, the agony in his face. He was unrecognizable, just as the Old Testament describes him, as unrecognizable, unhuman-like. And there lay Jesus, after going through uh, all the suffering, now he's on the cross. And then they start to pound those nails into his hands and his feet. And as they're doing that, as he's experimenting excruciating pain, as he as he's manifesting this anxiety and this... this uh, hurt within him in all in, 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 in so many ways, physically and emotionally. He experiences something that's called hemohydrosis that happened back at uh, Gethsemane. He starts to experience so much anguish that his capillaries dilate and the blood is mixed in with the uh, sweat glands. And so he perspires blood. This only happens to people that are being... Um, that they're going to, for instance, the electric chair or the lethal injection or they're going to be um, hung. Uh, People that go through this type of anguish uh, manifest this hemohydrosis. 
And so Jesus went through this. This was proof that he was experiencing a lot of mental and emotional anguish and physical, and of course. And so there he is on the cross, and they're pounding the nails into his hands and into his feet. And instead of cussing these soldiers out, instead of rebelling, instead of spitting in their faces as they did him, what does he do? In the most meek and gentle way, he looks up into the heavens and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is the maximum expression of forgiveness and love for us. And I take myself to that very place at Golgotha when I'm having a hard time letting go and I picture myself there and I see Jesus and I think to myself, if he did that for me, why am I unwilling to let go of such a small offense? And you know what? It doesn't take long before I overcome that feeling and I simply choose to let go and let God take over. You see, forgiveness is a decision we make to release an offender from our punishment and entrust it all to God. The dictionary defines forgiveness as a cancellation of a debt. We are forgiven for our offenses through Christ. He took the punishment for our sin by dying on the cross. It's his work on the cross that canceled our debt. So to forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house full of cleanliness and a sweet-smelling fresh air. When people are unwilling to forgive, they mess up their biology. You see, their psychology messes up their biology. And as I mentioned earlier in other podcasts, the thesis that I'm working on right now, my doctoral thesis, is that connection between the people that were abused as children and how they develop into adults and they develop uh, autoimmune diseases that affect their whole body and sometimes lessen their years. Now, just as unforgiveness affects the individual's psychology, it also affects the individual's biology. As I mentioned earlier, I'm studying the relationship between abuse and childhood and the development of autoimmune disease in adulthood. They're tied. Why? Because, again, the psychology affects the individual's biology. I won't get into the whole science of it, but it has a lot to do with something that's called the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which regulates our emotions or our reactions to emotions. It's, it's that fight, flight, or freeze uh, effect. It's, it's what we call, a lot of people call the adrenaline rush. And so when people are constantly angry, when people are constantly holding on to something, their cortisol is, is at a high. And cortisol is good when we need it, but it's not good when it's on all the time. The HPA axis is good when we need it, but it's not good when it's on all the time. And so what does that mean? God designed us in such a way that when we are experiencing an imminent threat, uh, you know, the example that I always give is imagine yourself walking through the forest. You hear noise behind you. You turn around and you see that there's a black bear in the brush. 
your HPA axis is turned on in a split second. The uh, hypothalamus and the pituitary glands interact. They send a signal down to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands secrete cortisol or adrenaline into your blood system. And in a fraction of a second, your muscles tighten up. You have tunnel vision. You break out in a cold sweat. Your heart races. And you, you, you either fight or you fly or even freeze. And so an individual will react to the bear by either trying to fight the bear off, running away from the bear, or simply freezing and getting eaten by the bear. <laughs> so you don't want the last one. You want to try and at least fight or run as fast as you can. That is a hypothalamic pituitary adrenal reaction. And so those are good because God, God, God wired us that way. Those are good when they are needed. They are not good when an individual is constantly in fight, flight, or freeze mode because they feel threatened, because they're holding on to something, because they're angry, they're enraged, they're reactive. And so when that happens, when cortisol is continually secreted into the bloodstream, it starts to cause things like sudden weight gain, skin conditions like eczema, uh, overall structural weakness in your bones, uh, immune, immune, uh, immune suppression that leads to uh, diseases like lupus, uh, fibromyalgia, Crohn's, Hashimoto's, Graves, ulcerative colitis, cancer, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, anxiety, depression, fatigue, and insomnia. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, if you wish to learn more, go to the Mayo Clinic and, uh, and check it out. There's a whole list of what happens to someone that is unwilling to, to let go and whose cortisol is always running high. You know, I was reading that the Mayo Clinic now not only treats individuals' disease uh, from a physical standpoint, but they also treat the individual spiritually and emotionally. And so they, they know that in order for an individual to heal, they have to treat him from a holistic uh, standpoint. And so they work with the body, they work with the mind, they work with the spirit. You can't remove any one of those three parts because look at it as a stool with three legs. If you remove one of the legs from the stool, it's going to topple over and fall. And so the same thing happens to an individual. We are a three-part being, mind, body, and spirit. And, and one affects the other. The mind affects the spirit. The spirit affects the body. The body affects the mind. I mean, it, it just... It just, it's a vicious cycle, but it really all starts with, with the mind. You see, the mind, uh, our thoughts become words, our words affect our emotions, our emotions um, cause us to, to make decisions, those decisions become actions, those actions uh, repeated over time become habits, habits form our character, and our character leads us to our final destination in life, and it all started with a thought, and so, yes, I would dare to say at this point, based on research and uh, empirical uh, uh, data, that uh, a lot of the people that are suffering from some kind of a, uh, autoimmune disease, about 75% of them, uh, actually caused it to happen to themselves because of the way that they were thinking or the things that they were holding on to. 
There's scripture to validate this, by the way. You know, there's Romans 12, 2 that says, Don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test God's perfect, pleasing, and goal for your life. And then there's Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. It's powerful stuff. Let me say it again. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. That's not figurative speech. This is, this is legitimate truth. This, this happens. If you have a happy heart, your chances of enjoying of good health are much higher than someone who is always bitter. Eventually, their body decays. Over 50% of terminally ill patients have issues with forgiveness or unforgiveness, according to the Mayo Clinic. Doctors are now treating the body in tandem, as I said, with the heart and mind, because it's proven that patients who let go of resentment heal faster. And I won't even get into that because I, I lived basically at MD Anderson in Houston for such a long time with my first wife. She was going, uh, undergoing experimental uh, therapy. She had a, a autologous bone marrow transplant that uh, based, you know, due to that research and she allowed her, them to experiment on her body, a lot of other people's lives were saved because they were able to find uh, ways to prolong people's lives through those experiments. And, and I remember that asking the doctor, I said, what causes, uh, you know, some individuals to live longer even when they have the same disease? And he says, it's all a matter of the, having the right attitude. He says, you have the A group and you have the B group. The A group is going to live, he says, at least six to 10 more years than the B group. He says, simply because they have a positive outlook on life. They have a good attitude. They smile a lot more. Uh, They have the same diagnosis and perhaps even the same prognosis, but they change that prognosis. They alter it because they have a good attitude. He says, whereas the other people, group B, they are constantly thinking about death. And so what do they do? They accelerate the process and eventually die. You see, when a person forgives, uh, you accelerate the process of healing. When a person does not forgive, they accelerate the process of decay. It's, It's that simple. Most people don't even realize what a burden unforgiveness is. Most people don't realize that the weight that unforgiveness carries until they let go. And I hear people say this all the time in a session when they're able to process and let go. They, they say that they have a sense of peacefulness. They say, I feel so much lighter. Of course you feel so much lighter. You've left your burdens behind. It's amazing. You know, God's word says, cast all of your cares Cast all of your burdens, cast all of your anxieties, cast all of your fears onto me because I care for you. And so I ask them to close their eyes, especially if they're believers in Christ. I tell them, close your eyes and envision yourself carrying a heavy load on your shoulders, going to Golgotha, going to Calvary, to an empty cross because Jesus is resurrected Go and picture yourself simply laying down that burden, that heaviness, casting it onto him because he cares for you. Picture yourself doing that and picture yourself leaving it behind and telling yourself, I will not go back and get it again. 
I'm leaving it all behind forever. This is not temporary. This is forever. You have to picture yourself doing that. And believe me, it's spiritual and it's also psychological. Keep in mind that your subconscious mind doesn't know truth from a lie. It doesn't know if you're just imagining that thing or it's really happening. Your subconscious mind doesn't understand it, but believes everything you feed it. And so if you're constantly feeding it negativity, that's what your life will be. If you're constantly feeding it negativity, that's what your life will become. And so you've got to watch what you're thinking. You've got to listen to those words that you are rehearsing in your mind. You have to choose to let go. And if you have to do it on a daily basis, on a daily basis, you choose to let go. Forgiveness is a spiritual decision to release the person that hurt you. Forgiveness is no longer demanding justice. Forgiveness is a decision to let go and cancel all bitterness in your life. Forgiveness is letting go of this insane idea that we have the right to seek vengeance. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness for some, depending on the abuse, may be longer a process than it is for others. And therefore, you have to do it on a daily basis. But forgiveness will set you free. Listen, healing starts the day that you choose to let go of those who hurt you. You have been told a lie that time heals all wounds. That is the farthest thing from the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Time does not heal all wounds. We have to position ourselves to let go of those who hurt us and allow God to take over and heal us. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Romans 12, 21 says this, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. (laughs) I remember uh, my dad once telling me, uh, I remember I was a young entrepreneur working at a company in, in Monterrey, Mexico, and I came home one day and I, I was frustrated because, uh, you know, I was 18 years old. I was an entrepreneur. I was working for people that the youngest probably were about 35, uh, 38 years old. And I, I, I felt that there were a couple of them that uh, looked down on me, you know, that didn't like me because of my youth. And I remember going to my dad and just complaining and, and trying to vent. And I remember my dad would just look at me and listen. And then he looked, he, he said these words to me that I'll never forget. He says, son, this is what you're going to do tomorrow when you go back to work. He says, you're going to kill them. I said, excuse me, you go back and you kill them. I said, what are you talking about? He says, son, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Kill that anger and that resentment with kindness and bury them with love. Kill them with kindness and bury them with love. Powerful words. (laughs) Listen, forgiveness is not just a mandate from God. It is a privilege 
It's like medicine for your whole body and your mind. It's freedom. It closes the door to the enemy. It surgically removes the cancer that has afflicted your heart and your mind the moment that you choose to let go. I mean, come on. Think about people in the Bible. Think about Joseph. I mean, Joseph was sold by his brothers as a slave out of envy. They lied to their dad, making him believe that Joseph had died. I mean, Joseph went through all kinds of trials. He ended up, you know, in Egypt, and then he became, you know, he was imprisoned uh, for unfairly, you know, unjustly. He was he was incarcerated, and then even at that, God showed him favor because he never rebelled against anyone. He had a good heart. And, and God used him. I mean, while being a slave and ending up in prison, God elevated him to a higher status and he became the second in command in Egypt. And, and, and do you think for a moment that God would have used him if he had been resentful, angry? Of course not. Think about David. I mean, David in the Bible who came became king. When, when Samuel goes to anoint David to become king, he was a teenager. and would He wouldn't become king right away. It would take many years for him to take the throne. But David, according to Scripture, was despised by his own brethren. Even his dad kind of turned his back on him, didn't believe in David. David had multiple reasons to hate on his family and to despise them because of the way that he was treated while his brothers were, were living the good life. I mean, he was out there shepherding sheep and shoveling sheep dung. Come on. He's out there in the, in the, in the sun as a, as a teenager doing the work of a, of a slave, and yet David doesn't rebel against his, his family, against his parents or siblings. I mean, he keeps a clean heart, and therefore, what does God do? God elevates, them to a, elevates him to a higher status and calls David. He's the only one that ever he ever calls a man, a, a man after God's own heart. I mean, think about it. You know, we, we sometimes want to be used by God. We want to be elevated to a higher status, and we want to be you know, used by him, but yet we're not willing to do the small things like let go, like forgive. And that's where we need to start. You see, you've got to position yourself correctly in order to receive what God has for you. You've got to let go of what you don't need so that you can reach out and receive what God has for you. But you can't reach out with a clenched fist. You've first got to let go. I remember reading a quote that said, you've got to heal from what hurts you so that you don't bleed on the people that didn't cut you. You may not know it, but by holding a grudge, resentment against someone, it's messing up your relationships. It's hurting people that never hurt you. It's, it's damaging others because you come in like a wrecking ball because you're carrying so much anger, resentment, and hatred that the people around you suffer. Because you're hurt, you hurt other people. It's not until you get healed that you can start living the life that God has called you to live. And so I want to give you five benefits of forgiving others. And then I'll wrap this, this episode up. The five benefits of forgiving others is number one, it sets you free. Number two, it frees you from the emotional weight and pain. Number three, it improves your mental and physical health. Number four, it positions you to receive God's blessings. And number five, it pleases God. And it is Christ-like to forgive. You know, probably listening right now, and some of you are struggling, you're probably thinking about that person that you have yet to forgive. Maybe it's the parent that walked out on your family. Maybe it's your dad that abandoned you. Maybe it's a parent that abused you. Maybe it's a grandparent, a relative, a loved one, a teacher, a friend, maybe your own sibling. I deal with a lot of people that have been hurt by their own family, abused 
emotionally and sometimes even sexually by their own family members. And they're holding on to this resentment and they validate it because why not? You know, the hurt was so profound, so deep that the best that I can do is hold it against them in a form of vengeance because while doing that, in my mind, I think that I'm hurting them when in all reality, that's far from the truth. I don't know what your hurt is and I don't mean to minimize it either. Everyone is carrying their own weight, some more than others. But again, the difference is how you process it. The difference is that some get tired of being so tired, of carrying the weight, and decide to simply let go and let God take over. I don't know if that's you. I don't know if it's you, but if it is, can I pray for you right now? Let me just pray. You know, David, in Psalm 139, he wrote, Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Father, we come before you right now in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. I pray for everyone that is listening today. Father, you know their hearts. Some are struggling more than others. Some don't even know what they're holding on to. It's so embedded in their psyche. It's so embedded in their hearts, Father. Lord, I pray for them today. I pray, Lord, that just as David asked for you to reveal what was in his heart and in his mind, to reveal if there were any hurtful ways, I pray that you would reveal that to each and every one of those that are listening today. As they seek you, I pray they would find you. As they seek to hear your voice, I pray that they would hear you. Expose, Lord, in their lives whatever needs to be exposed. Dig up the rocks. Pull out the weed. Show them what it is, Lord, that they've been holding on to so they may cast their cares unto you because you care for them. Lord, I pray that that be the first step in their healing process. I pray that as they do so, Father, that they would feel the heaviness removed, that they would feel lighter, and that they would start to see their spirits, their bodies, and their minds healing. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of them for their willingness to let go and turn it over to you. Father, we know that you are a good God. You're a God that heals. I pray that you would embrace them, that they would feel your closeness and your love, and that your healing power would flow from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you hear us, that you answer our prayers, and that you're faithful. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen.